0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Maybe you slept in because of all this dreary, kind of rainy, cold June weather. We're still trying to figure out what's going on with that. So, uh, would not the coolest job on the planet be weather person. I mean, you can be wrong every day at work. You can fail every day at work and people still will watch you, listen to you, and you will still draw a paycheck. You could say it's going to shoot balls of fire today from the sky and Skittles are going to come <laughs> as a result of it. It's about a 50% chance of Skittles today and, uh, and fireballs. And everybody would go, oh, okay, oh, he's wrong. Well, the weatherman's always wrong. So it just doesn't matter. So. But uh, anyways, we had a good time at Goodstock. Thanks, you guys, for coming out and supporting our church family. And, uh, and, and we were able to provide games for that event and, as well as uh, lead a little bit of worship there today as well. We're going to continue on in our content series tonight. And what we're trying to do is really solidify why we believe what we believe. Last week, we talked about that foundation being the Word of God. And we have to understand, why do we believe the Bible is true? And just because isn't a good enough answer. Because if doubts come, which they will, then what are you going to stand on? If you're challenged through the media or through a coworker, or maybe through a, a movie or a book or something that challenges what you believe, how do you really know why you believe what you believe? So last week, we talked about the Bible and why we believe that. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back I also want to encourage you that if you haven't taken advantage of the Elements videos, we're doing it a little bit different uh, for the series now. We just did a series opening video, and then we're going to do a series recap video, and we're going to provide notes all in between. So there's notes and there's a series opener video on the website, and this particular one is huge throughout this whole series. So I really want you to go back and watch that video if you haven't. You can get it under the resources tab on our website under the elements section. I want you to go watch that video. It's uh, about 10 minutes long. And what I'm teaching on in that video is discernment. Because I think that's so huge that we have to be able to understand how to discern truth. How to know right from wrong. And we talk about is it a, is it a feeling? Is it what's popular? Is it just, you know, what was what, what our gauge of truth? How do we discern and gauge truth? For ourselves, What have we been trained to gauge truth for? Well, because someone said it that, that's seemingly important or someone that's on TV or on the radio or someone that wrote a book or, uh, you know, is does, does that our gauge for truth? Because if it is, that's a very shallow ground. That's a very uh, uh, sandy type ground that we know is that shifting sand. So we need to know that our, our discernment and our truth is based off the word of God. Listen to me. Even of good things. That we discern even things that are seemingly good that could be seeping in and creating doctrinal error and wrong beliefs in our lives. Just to give you a point in case, um, I was uh, cleaning the house the other day, and I put on Pandora Radio, which just plays a wide variety of whatever genre of music that you pick. And I picked Christian music, and so here it was just playing random Christian songs, and out came this song, and the lyrics that they started singing, I'm going... Oh my goodness, this was from a popular band. And I'm going, this, this, these lyrics are not good. They're not biblically accurate. They're not bad in and of themselves. But if someone used those lyrics as a form to, uh, of doctrine or of their belief, they would be singing something very wrong. They were, uh, the, the band was singing about how we're going to plunder the pits of hell. And we're going to plunder the pits of hell. And I'm going, no, I don't want to go to hell and plunder anything. I don't think there's anything hell has that i want but yet this is a worship song that's singing over and over we're going to plunder the pits of hell for five minutes repetitiously they sing this song about plundering the pits of hell and i'm like give it up already jesus won the victory it's over buddy you know but but yet this is a popular worship song by a popular worship band and so here they are singing a song that is chopped full of bad belief are you kind of understanding what i'm saying we need to understand even good things. We need to be able to weed through it just because it's a number one bestseller uh, uh, in the New York Times. And just because uh, somebody's doing a book tour right now and, and we like some of the things they say doesn't mean that it's something we found what we receive and what we accept as truth. The Bible is the foundation for truth, not man. Amen? Bible is the truth for our foundation, not what's popular in Christian culture. Not what everyone is getting on the train and everybody's singing and saying. That doesn't mean it's biblically accurate. and doesn't mean that it's helpful. Because some of these things can infiltrate our foundation and can actually weaken our belief. So we need to always go back to scripture. We always need to go back to the book. Because we believe that God has given us his word. And we talked last week why we believe that the Bible is true. So I would encourage you to go back to the elements video from this past week and also go back to last week's message just in case you missed it. Or just to give it a listen again just to help solidify why you believe what you believe. And we're going to talk about evidence for Jesus tonight. And if I was to say, how many of you believe in Jesus? Woohoo, amen, we're in church. I mean, that kind of goes with it, right? But why? Why do you believe in Jesus well, because he loved me. Yeah, but how do you know he loved you? Well, because I read in the Bible. What, how do you know? And we've got to get deeper. And we've got to understand why we believe Jesus is who he says he is. When we read in Scripture, how do we know that these things are true? So I want to give you some things to help equip you, to help equip us as the body of Christ to know why we believe in Jesus. Because here's the thing. We live in a day and time that wants to say, because I believe something strongly enough, that that makes it true. If I believe in it strongly enough, that makes it true. But if there's nothing backing up what my belief is, then I could be believing something wrong. And I want to know why I believe in Jesus. I want to be able to back that claim up of why I know that Jesus existed, why I know that Jesus is the Son of God, why I believe that He died on the cross and that was payment for my sin. I, I don't want to just believe it because it, it, it's in my heart and I've convinced myself that it's true. No, I want to know God. Have, show me, show me how I, how I can have confidence to be able to understand why I believe all of those things are true. So just because we believe something very hard that doesn't make it true, there's got to be something that transcends what we choose to believe. And we talked about that last week as being the Word of God, so we're going to go through that tonight, and we're going to talk about Jesus. But first of all, a lot of people have challenged, did Jesus even exist? Did Jesus even exist? I mean, would we automatically just say yes, I mean, especially if we're Christians? But, But how do we back that claim up? Did Jesus actually exist? Is there evidence? Is there evidence outside of Scripture that supports the fact that Jesus exists? Because today I want to equip us with some things that are going to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. First of all, first and foremost, I want you to understand this. This is a huge one. Christian and non-Christian historians both agree that Jesus actually existed as the Bible records. Okay? So this isn't just some one-sided thing where only... Christian people believe in Jesus. No both Christian and non-Christian people believe in Jesus as a person. They believe he actually existed. He actually walked this earth. And most historians would even say that a non-Christian historian that tried to disprove Jesus actually existed on this earth, he would be a fool because it's ridiculous. There's so much evidence about his existence that there would be no way ...that you could uh, compare that, especially with any other historical figures that they actually walked this earth. Here are the big two things that are recorded in history over and over again by Christian and non-Christian authors. Jesus' baptism and his death. Those are both two non-negotiable facts that all historians who are worth their salt, that they all agree upon... Many non-biblical texts from ancient historians and from other writings have recorded in detail those events, just as the Gospels have. So understand something, that just as the Gospels have recorded the baptism and the death of Jesus Christ, you can see non-Christian writings from those same eras that recorded the exact same thing the exact same way. So this isn't just something that someone decided to come up with some great story about some really nice person who did a lot of really nice things for people. This is much deeper than that and it had a much greater impact than that even on non-believers. They saw what was going on. This, he was a prevalent figure um, in those days. Um, Flavius Josephus And Cornelius Tacitus Which I don't know who their mamas were But God bless them for picking those names For their kids Come here Flavius I mean uh, I mean I guess with a last name Like Josephus I guess you know You got to have an equally cool first name So if anyone is, is, is With child in here I would pray about considering naming your child Flavius just because that would be really Cool um, Flavius Josephus and Cornelius Tacitus, get this, these are two historians, they both wrote about Jesus, both of them, okay, Tacitus and Josephus both wrote, Josephus sounds like a good hillbilly redneck name, doesn't it, I mean, like, both and Josephus, you know, it sounds like they're, you know, they hang out with each other, Josephus and Tacitus both wrote about Jesus, they both lived shortly after Jesus, They both recorded specific details proving his existence and the spread of Christianity. But get this, both of those men were non-believers. The difference in Tacitus and Josephus is that Josephus was a Jew, Tacitus was a Roman. Get this about Tacitus. Tacitus is history's main source for evidence of the Roman Emperor Nero's life. So if you have studied about the Roman Emperor Nero in high school or maybe in college or you've read or seen documentaries about the Roman Emperor Nero, 90% of what was written about Nero came from Tacitus who also wrote about Jesus and wrote the exact same things that we can see recorded as events that unfold in the Gospels. And so it's just interesting to me Here we would, as a society, just openly accept the history that is given to us on the History Channel or that's given to us in a history book. We would never question those things. Well, well, smart people have studied those things out and they've written these books and we're supposed to study these things to learn about history. Yeah, these same guys that they're pulling all their information from, 90% of it on the Emperor Nero, same guy wrote a ton of stuff about Jesus. And so here he is, a non-biased opinion. This guy is not writing from a Christian perspective, but yet he still writes some of the exact same things about the life of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. That's pretty powerful to disprove those claims that people would try to say that Jesus didn't actually exist and walk the earth. You can say, listen, it wasn't just a bunch of believers that wrote about Jesus. It was non-believers as well that wrote about Jesus. Jesus. So here, here's the thing. How many of you believe in Julius Caesar? Raise your hand if you believe in Julius Caesar, that he was a real man and he actually existed. Do you believe Julius Caesar was a real man and that he actually exists? Yes, I believe Julius Caesar was a real man. I believe he actually existed. Now let me ask you this question. Why? Why do you believe Julius Caesar was a real man? Why do you believe he actually existed? Hmm. I guess because... I saw it on A&E once, Um, I guess because I read some stuff about him, and I really liked his dressing and his salad. (laughs) And when I think about Julius Caesar, I always think about the dude that has no hair right here and has the little leafy things around his ears. And I guess that's why I believe in Julius Caesar. There you go. That pretty much sums it up. But we all believe that Julius Caesar actually existed. Nobody would really have a debate about whether or not Julius Caesar actually existed. You don't see that happening in colleges where people are going back and forth with evidence against Julius Caesar's life and what Julius Caesar did. We all can pretty much agree Julius Caesar actually existed, but here's the crazy thing. There is more historical evidence for the life of Jesus Christ than any other historical figure that lived in Jesus' day or before even more evidence than Julius Caesar. More evidence for the life of Jesus Christ than any other historical figure that lived in Jesus' day or before Jesus' day. There's more historical evidence for those things even than the life of Julius Caesar. And we all said we believe in Julius Caesar. Believe he actually existed. Believe he was a man and he did the things that that we read about that he did. We believe those things. But there's more evidence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's existence than that man. Right? Jesus wasn't without critics in his day, both in his life and even after his death and resurrection. But the fact that he lived on this earth is undeniable. There is that that that's just a fact that Jesus Christ walked on this earth for. So for someone to say that Jesus Christ did not exist would be foolish. It would be extremely foolish. But here's the thing: some people can agree that Jesus Christ actually existed. They won't dispute that fact. They'll say, "I believe Jesus existed. I believe he was a good teacher and he was a good." person who did some good things maybe even a prophet you know maybe he was like a prophet or something I don't know but 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 the problem is is that Jesus was more than a prophet he was more than a good man he was more than a teacher Jesus was more than just a good teacher he was and is the third the 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 the, the son of God the second person in the trinity we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God Amen? amen and here's the thing Orthodox Jews do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied about in Scripture. Even to this day, you see the Jewish people that are still practicing, which are the minority, by the way. If you have the assumption that all Jewish people are practicing Jews, you're very, very, very wrong. Um, Most Jews nowadays are either atheists or agnostic um, but yet there is still a remnant of Jews that are still very much practicing Orthodox Jews. And in those are different sects of beliefs and how they view things. But the Jewish people were looking for the promised one, looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. Because Christ was not Jesus' last name. It wasn't. When you say Jesus Christ, but Christ wasn't his last name, Okay. If Jesus had a last name, most of the time, you know, if 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 you were referenced from your first name, you know, to a last name, it was often tied to whatever type of trade you were in. So maybe for Jesus, it would have almost been like Jesus Carpenter before it would have been Jesus Christ. But we don't ever see that reference. But that's where those last names often came from, just like we know today. Christ was a title. Christ was a designation for the Messiah because the word Christ means anointed one. Okay, So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus, the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah. So just saying Jesus Christ in and of itself is a huge claim. That's like blasphemy to Orthodox Jewish people to say Jesus Christ. Christ. Matter of fact, I was watching a documentary where a pastor was interviewing an Orthodox Jewish man, and they were talking about Jesus. And the Jewish rabbi would not even say the name Jesus. He would just say, that man. Because that's how sternly they are against the fact that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. They'll just say, oh, that man that you believe in. Oh, man, that's pretty cold. When they say that, but what they're saying is they're, they disagree with that wholeheartedly. There are different sections of, of, of Jews. Some of them um, don't even believe he was a good teacher, a good man. They believe that he was uh, sent by Satan to try to cause a deception um, um, amongst a lot of people. And a lot of reason that the Jewish people as a whole did not accept Jesus as the promised Christ or Messiah was because they, Jesus didn't come to them the way that they were kind of expecting him to come. They had their mind made up of how Jesus was going to come. You see, Jesus did not fulfill the messianic expectation of the Jews of his day. Because for, for centuries, when a woman would become pregnant, they would get excited and, and, and they, they would possibly think, Oh, is, 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 is this child you know, somehow going to uh, be in the line of this Messiah? Or, 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 or if I have a daughter... We would celebrate for the fact of maybe my daughter would be the one blessed to carry this child. Because they knew he was coming. They just didn't know exactly everything it was going to look like. Because their view was skewed by what was going on in their culture. Just like if Jesus were to come today and he would claim to be Messiah. We would have certain cultural expectations about what Jesus would do. So did the Jews. They had certain cultural expectations about what Jesus would do. Because here they are. These Jewish people in Judea that are under oppression from the Roman government, okay? The the fact that Israel had not even been a nation since the last king, since King Hosea, and we see how they entered into Babylonian captivity. And then they, they, they entered into to, to all these different nations that would come and would, would, would take over their land and warring for their land. And Israel was not even declared a nation from 434 B.C. all the way up to 1947. So they're under all this oppression. They're under all this fear. They're, they're, they're thinking, okay, when Messiah comes back, he's going to unite us. He's going to bring us all together. He's going to come riding on this big stallion with a flaming sword. And he's just going to whack the heads off all these Romans. And he's going to just take care of these guys. And he's going to sit on the throne. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to reestablish the kingdom in their minds, thinking the kingdom of Israel. And they're thinking, here's Jesus he's, you know, or, or this Messiah that, that's going to come back. But yet we see Jesus coming very, very differently than what we expected in our cultural expectation. Because we were thinking he's going to come and deliver us out of our current issues that we're dealing with. If Jesus were to come today, we would probably have a view about Jesus coming and bringing world peace. Because, hey, even Miss America knows we need that, right? I mean... That's what we would say. Well, how can he claim to be the Christ? Because we don't have world peace and not everybody has a new puppy in their home. Because that's what Miss America wants and that's what we think that Jesus is going to (coughs) do. Same thing with the Romans. Because of what was going on in their time, because of the oppression that they were facing, they had certain cultural expectations. And Jesus did not meet their cultural expectations. Matter of fact, a lot of times it was polar opposite of their cultural expectations. That's why we have to be careful when we look at culture. And and, and we think that somehow that that, that God is is going to allow culture to supersede His word. That's what some of the Jews had thought in that time. That's why they missed Him. They missed Him because He didn't come the way they thought that He would come. That's why a lot of the religious leaders of that day, the the Pharisees and Sadducees, were constantly at war with Jesus because He didn't come the way they thought He was going to come. This guy, the Messiah, really? Hangs out with a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors? You kidding me? They didn't like that. They didn't accept that. They rejected that wholeheartedly, very rapidly. They they rejected that. This is blasphemy. This guy is not the Messiah. This is not the guy we've been looking for. This is not the Christ. You mean the guy from Nazareth? You kidding me? You're the Joseph's son? We we know him. I mean, they, they rejected the idea. So they just said, well, maybe he's just a good teacher. Or they said, well, maybe he was just a prophet. Or, but, but, you know, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, who do men say that I am? And that's what he said. Maybe Elijah? I mean, maybe Moses? I mean, we don't know. There's a lot of rumors going around, Jesus, about who people say you are. And Jesus looks at Peter and what does he say? He said, who do you say that I am? And in that moment he said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. What did, what did Jesus say? He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. He said, this is who I am. He said, you got it. You got who I am. I am the son of God. So here's here's the thing. The probability of all of the messianic prophecies, and there's over 300 messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament scripture that a Jewish person would have known and studied and would have known to look for and expect. Out of all of those prophecies, it would have been an absolute miracle by that time, from the time the first prophecy was written (coughs) to the days of Jesus, it would be a miracle for Jesus to fulfill only eight messianic prophecies. It would have been a miracle for him to fulfill only eight. The probability of Jesus fulfilling only eight messianic prophecies written and spanned over thousands of years would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, that doesn't make sense to me, so I had to figure out what in the world does that mean. Or 1 in a quintillion. I did not make that up. That's a real number. 1 in quintillion. Okay, okay, I see we're not getting this. Okay. That's a real n- numeric term. All right, let me, let, let, let's talk food for a minute because we all speak that language. Okay. Oreo cookies. What, what? Right? Double stuffed? Okay. <laughs> Oreo cookies. Let's take, you would have a better chance. This is of Jesus filling eight messianic prophecies in his lifetime. Eight. Alright? Of Jesus fulfilling eight messianic prophecies, prophecies, you would have a better chance of filling up the entire state of Texas. Big state. Right? Texas? Yes, big state where the NBA champion Spurs are. That's right. Does that throw that in there for somebody in the room? <coughs> See, you would have a better chance of filling the entire state of Texas with two feet of Oreo cookies, and that sounds awesome. You would have a better chance of filling the entire state. Of Texas with two foot of Oreo cookies going into the state of Texas where you have two feet of Oreo cookies spending the whole state, taking one cookie, twisting it ever so gently, licking the cream out of the middle, putting that back together as best you can, dropping it into the rest of the cookies that are whole, mixing the whole state of Texas up And then walking around blindfolded, reaching into the pile, and you picking out your cookie. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling only eight messianic prophecies in his lifetime. Jesus fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies in his lifetime. Jesus fulfilled specific details about those prophecies. Not just random. Oh, yeah, we could kind of fudge on that one a little bit. No, he fulfilled specific details of prophecies that were given about the Messiah. Over 300 messianic prophecies. Just in one day, when he was on earth, one day, he fulfilled 29. Just one day. Just by things he said, things that he did. 29 messianic prophecies fulfilled in a one day. Now, and get this. David. King David who lived centuries before Jesus Christ was on this earth. You guys remember David, the little boy, killed Goliath with the sling, the stone, who later became king over Israel. Remember David. You remember what, his, what one of the things that he's most famous for was for writing a lot of the Psalms, right? He would, he would take his harp and he would, he would write music, and, music and, and he would dictate these Psalms that we have in the Bible. David wrote about Jesus In Psalm 22 and 16. Psalm 22 and 16 says this. It says, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now what's significant about that. Is here we see a foretelling of the messianic prophecy, this, uh, I mean the foretelling of Jesus, the Messiah coming. And that he was going to be surrounded by what, is, what, what he said dogs there. But what he actually is referring to is all types of evil men in that. And the piercing of the hands and the feet was written about years and years and years, hundreds of years. Before crucifixion was even practiced as a, as a means of torture with the hands and the feet. You see, a lot of people would hang up people you know, with rope. Or they would nail their hands to a post as a means of torture. But the cross, the crucifixion that was done on a cross. Where you would nail both hands and feet. Was perfected and done by the Romans. Because the Romans were seeking out the most evil and cruel way to torture someone, the most humiliating, cruel way to do that because they wanted to be feared in the world. If Rome was coming your way, those are the guys that crucify on crosses. You better watch out. And here we see the detail of the crucifixion of Christ with his hands and his feet being pierced with nails written about. And the fact here also in verse 16, we see the congregation of the wicked has, has enclosed me see that, that all these people that were mocking him and all these evil people were surrounding him. And we know that Jesus was hanging between two thieves. We know that there was a lot of wickedness that was surrounding him in that moment. And we see that this is written all those years before. Before, I mean, David didn't know about the Romans and the crucifixion when he was writing that. It wasn't some idea that he had that, 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 that there was somehow a strategy to try to fulfill it by man. No, this was something that was given to him by the Holy Spirit, that he can see what's going to happen to this Messiah, and we see that Jesus fulfilled that and many other prophecies. Here are a few biblical prophecies um, that Jesus fulfilled, and you can write these down and study these out if you would like. There's a lot of them, but I just want to give you a few up here uh, on on the screen. Uh, The first one is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Now that was prophesied in Micah 5 and 2, all right? We see that the Messiah would be born from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49 and 10. In the book of Genesis, this stuff was being written about. Messiah would present himself by riding on a donkey. We see that in Zechariah 9 and 9. We see that Messiah would arrive before the destruction of the second temple in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And we see that Messiah would suffer that he would be silent, that he would be arrested, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and he would rise again. In Isaiah 52, 13, all the way through the 53rd chapter in the 12th verse, we can look and we can see not only do we have historical proof that Jesus was a good man, that he was a good teacher, that he actually existed, but we can also see through bringing credible evidence of people that God gave these words to hundreds of years Before they would ever even come about all of these events. And that these events would happen in the life of one man. And the odds of all of these different writers prophesying all these things. And that Jesus fulfilling over 300 prophecies that were prophesied about the Messiah. That should give weight. Not only to the fact that Jesus existed. But that he is the son of God. Amen somebody. Here's the thing. Jesus is the Son of God, and He is the only way to the Father. I'm going to say that again. He's the only way to the Father. There is no other way. How do we know that there is no other way to God? I mean, I've got a friend that's Muslim, and they're nice people, and I have friends that are... Of the uh, of the Hindu faith and they're nice people and I have friends that you know they're kind of agnostic but they're still really nice they give a lot of money to charity and I think about these shows and things that are on TV because reality TV is such a big deal it's just everywhere and and what we call reality TV and one of the shows that always just grips our hearts makes us cry is when Someone does something nice for someone else. Maybe one of those shows like, you know, the, the, the ones where the guys come and bring the big bus and they move that bus, you know, and, and they have this whole team of all these people. Oh, it makes us cry. The stories, all these people are so nice. Surely they get a pass on that because they're nice. They don't have to know Christ. They're just a bunch of nice people. And come on, God, cut them some slack. They made me cry or they're just nice, or they've done good deeds. Listen, folks, I don't care if you've given away your fortune, if you've given a billion dollars to charity. I don't care if you've committed your life to work with underprivileged children. I don't care if, 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 if you have, have done all these good deeds and all these good works. It doesn't make you right with God. I don't care if you've built homes for people who have lost their homes in a flood or a tornado or a fire. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. If you don't know Jesus and you don't put your faith and your trust in him, all of those things, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's our righteousness. That's our good deeds. That's our good works. And it is Filthy rags, because our righteousness is nothing compared to the righteousness of Jesus. Only He could truly be righteous, only He could truly pay the penalty. For your sin and my sin, our good deeds can't blot out our sin in the eyes of God. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ could blot out our sin. That's why He accepts you right where you're at. That's why He loves you right where you're at. That's why He gave His life for you before you ever had an opportunity to love Him back. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ is real he did live on this earth he did fulfill all those prophecies that were written about both by christian and non-christian authors jesus did do the things that the bible claims he did he did die for you and he did rise again that's why his tomb is empty that's why you can go to muhammad's tomb and buddha's tomb and guess what it's just a bunch of old dead bones hair and nails it's gross but you can go to the tomb of Christ and it's empty. Why? Because He's alive. Because He actually did rise from the dead. And we can trust that when He says something, that it is true and that it is God-breathed. Amen? And we agree on that. That if Jesus speaks something, that He speaks truth. Because He is not just speaking on His own authority. He is speaking with the authority of His Father God. Amen? And so if he's speaking with that kind of weight and that kind of authority, if Jesus says something, then it's automatically truth. And I can believe it or not, but that doesn't change whether it's true or not. Correct? And so if that's the case, then John chapter 14 should really pierce our hearts in this day and age. John chapter 14 has got to be something that you and I stand on that we believe because the world we live in is very much anti-John 14. Your co-workers may be very much anti-John 14. The news media is definitely anti-John 14. Oprah is very much anti-John 14 heavy influencers in our society, and even people who claim to be pastors and preachers of the Word of God will not even stand up for John 14. How can you be called a man of God, and you stand behind a pulpit, and have the opportunity to speak to God's people, and not believe John 14? How could you be so spineless not to articulate John 14 the way Jesus articulated it and it carried the same weight and authority because it's not your words, it's his words. What does John 14 say, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. I've got it right here. Don't get nervous, I'm going to read it. John 14 and verse 5, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to God except through me. Not any other way. I don't care what's popular. I don't care what's on television. I don't care what people try to say or try to convince you of. You need to know why you believe this stuff. And if you believe Jesus was real and that he's alive today and that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. If he said it, that settles it. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's it. I mean, that settles it. That settles it, folks. This debate, all all, all of these things that that, that we see with these people making these movements to, 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 to try to get us to believe that all ways lead to God. They're wrong and they're false. And Jesus just blew it away right there with his own words. Jesus didn't say all roads lead to heaven. Jesus didn't say being a good person leads to heaven. Jesus didn't say being nice and mowing your neighbor's yard occasionally or your pastor's yard. He didn't say that would get you to heaven, although you could try. It's worth a shot. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to the Father. That's why it's so imperative that you and I commit our lives to being a church, a body, a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus that is intentional in evangelizing this gospel message to the world, in intentionally raising up disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. And we do everything we can with our lives to make Him known and make Him famous and let people know He's the only way to the Father. And I wanted to let you know why he's the only way to the Father. I wanted to let you know why you can trust in the Bible. I wanted you to know why you can believe that Jesus is who everyone says that he is and who history says he is and who the Bible says that he is and why we can know that those things are true. Because if you're convinced of it and if you're convicted of it, then you're going to be able to really move forward Sharing that truth with other people with confidence. Because conviction brings about that confidence. Conviction. I'm convicted about this because I know there's just no way you can't convince me otherwise. This isn't even... I haven't even brought out one story or one testimony about how Jesus has changed any of your lives. About how before you came to Christ and how before I came to Christ... All of the great testimonies about the life-changing power of Jesus did all of this just by showing you who He is. Wow. All of that only adds to the overwhelming proof, the overwhelming conviction that He is worthy to be trusted, that His Word is settled, that His Word is true. And that, yeah, we love and we pray for people that are of other faiths. And we try to show them the truth of Jesus Christ. But He is still the only way. So here's what I want to ask. Do you trust Him? Do you know Him? Shared a lot of things about Jesus tonight but do you trust Him and do you know Him? Personally, individually, do you know Him? Just because you show up for a church service doesn't mean you know God. Just because you own a Bible doesn't mean you know Him. Just because you know how to recite certain prayers at certain times doesn't mean you know Him. The Bible says that our spirit bears witness with his spirit that we are the sons of God. Is your spirit bearing witness that you're a son or a daughter of God right now? Because if it isn't, I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to know that you know that you belong to the family of God. Would you bow your head? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOGCC dot com.